0: All right, now we're recording and live. Well, good morning, everyone. Good
1: morning.
0: Good to be back.
1: Good to have you back.
0: Oh, thanks, guys. Well, let's start off with prayer, shall we? Father, we just thank you so much that we are able to gather and to study your word. Yes. God, we just ask, as always, for just that wisdom and that insight and humility as we Uh, recognize that your word is great, and just give us that understanding. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so for the the next couple of sessions, I thought we would go over fundamental theology. Well, I'm going to try to make it fundamental theology. So we're going to start with the most high and lofty topic, uh, the doctrine of God. So what does it mean to know God? Now, as we go throughout this, you guys have been in church a long time, and you guys heard of folks talk about different attributes of God, like His holiness, His immutability, right? His omniscience, omnipresence, all of that. But keep in mind, as we study this, God is not a frog to be dissected. He is a person to be known. And I fall into the trap as well, and I was talking about this with my bride, especially when we talk about the third person of the Trinity. As much as we recognize that the Holy Spirit is indeed a person, we still have this idea that He's more of a force, right? Just this kind of um, active thing, not really a person with a distinct personality. And I want to make sure that we get away from that. And there's nothing more important than knowing God. That's why I had you guys turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. Starting in verse 23, Jeremiah says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth for in these things i delight declares the lord now consider this passage if you guys want to turn to john chapter 17 verse 3 now this is eternal life that they may know you the only true god and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, especially in today's day and age, we live in a time where knowledge of God is a rarity, to put it mildly. We live in a society whose the psalmist words were true. In Psalm 10, verse 4, he says, In his pride the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts there is no room for God. See, that is our highest ambition as Christians, to know God. Simply, right? That is the whole reason that we were created. It's the whole reason that we were redeemed. John Frame, a 20th and 21st century theologian, he put it this way. Quote, The first thing, and in one sense the only thing, we need to know about God is that He is Lord. Surely no name, no description of God is more central to Scripture than this. So that's the first truth that we have to understand, that God is Lord. And this, of course, has been under attack now more than ever. So let's kind of unpack that. What are we saying when we say that God is Lord? What does the word Lord mean? Here's the interactive part. Master? Master, right?
2: No, that's curious. But... Mm-hmm. And the Lord that's here is the Yahweh. Correct. Read in Jeremiah, Correct. Which means there's a difference, can be used differently and, and stuff. Where this L O R D being capitalized speaks of as uh, the one that whom you should fear, the God Himself, the I Am of yep. the scriptures.
0: And the service of, right? To claim that God is Lord over your life means that you do what? You submit all aspects of your life to His Lordship. So you're saying, hey God, I know that uh, everything I have is A from you, and everything that I am is in service to you. That is what it means to claim that God is Lord. And that's where we get this disconnect in today's church. We have this disconnect that we call God, God. Well, we don't serve him as lord does that make sense yeah it's the difference between i always tell people when i gave my life to the lord uh-huh. i accepted his salvation at 13. okay but i made him the lord of my life when i was 26. Right. right
3: and it's totally different
0: yeah it is it absolutely is and and it's hugely different in our interpretation of when we read the scriptures or how we read the scriptures So if you're in complete subjection to God as master of your life, the scriptures have, well, you have no choice than to just change your life to mold them around the scriptures rather than the other way around. And that's where we get into a lot of these problems that I never thought we would get into uh, within the church, even when I went to Bible college and I had to have these conversations on, um, you know, is the scripture trustworthy or is God absolutely holy? just weird stuff that you wouldn't think unless you actually had that that just pure submission to God as Lord the very nature this is also from John Frame he says the very nature of liberal theology for the past 300 years has been to assert human autonomy the liberal theologian wants to avoid at all costs the notion that he belongs to someone else that he must think according to someone else's standards that he must obey someone else without question. The positions are fundamentally anti-Christian. The central message of Scripture is quite clear. God is Lord. That's the first and foremost about understanding who God is. And, you know, I don't want to make this a bash fest, but we are going to call out liberal theology at this point because they come up with some pretty heretical ideas based on the rejection of these standards, based on... Uh, human autonomy. Okay, let's let's kind of unpack that one. Without getting into that debate, but I do want to discuss human autonomy versus God's autonomy and God's sovereignty. So, how does that affect so many things? How we present the gospel, um, our prayer life, our study of the scriptures. See, the idea of human autonomy can bleed over and to having this idea that we are somehow the ultimate catalyst or the ultimate responsibility for all things Christian, from faith to salvation. And it can go far, far, far left to something called Pelagianism. And the, the idea of that is that you can somehow reach heaven based on your own good works, just the stuff that you're able to do. And we know that's absolutely not true
4: well, and that thought is in baby Christians too. I mean, even you know, like the a young lady I'm discipling, that was her question: Am I still not? Am I not autonomous? I mean, do I not still? God made me this way. He knows me. Right. So, what is he asking of me when he created me like this? You know, that was her very question. And if you go too far with that thought. It leads you down a road of progressive Christianity.
0: Yep. Is that what you're going to bring up, Steve? You
2: know, it was, it was coming, coming back to me first and foremost that in the in the beginning when the sin happened, it's the very fact that Satan gave, put a lie. And uh-huh. the lie was that you would be like God. Right. right. Okay. Right. From that point on, <clears throat> now, God says, let us make man in our image. But God, it also says that man was made for his good pleasure. Yeah. Yep. So we are a creation of His, we're not independent of Him. Correct. And yet by the scripture itself it tells us we will be one day accountable for that relationship.
0: Right. And, and the idea that you know, we have full autonomy, and that's what people reject the most um, when they're rejecting the sovereignty of God, they're saying, you know, well what about my free will? Because you've done a bang up job with it so far?
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. I don't have any trouble. I mean, bring it, even bring it back down. Have you guys ever uh, worked for a boss or whatever that was absolutely brilliant at what he did? And you have no trouble submitting to his plan because it's going to work out way better than yours. I know, kind of off analogy, but it's the best I can come up with. But you get the idea, right? That we must think according to someone else's standards. And we must obey someone else without question, that, that person, that someone else being God. So here's the kicker. Do you guys think that we are able to accomplish any of that stuff of our own volition without the power of the Spirit? I agree. I agree with you. I don't think we can. See. The scripture is pretty clear when it says that we have been dead in our trespasses and sins. Last time I checked, a corpse never does anything. Right? What an
1: observation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so,
5: yes? Dead in our trespasses and sins. God said to Adam, the day yeah. you eat, yeah. you surely die. Yeah. yeah. And he lived 900 years. Right. So did he
0: die? Spiritually.
5: Yes.
0: Yeah,
5: he did die. Yep. Spiritually. And then what happens to
0: his seed, his children? They too will die. Yep. Were they spiritually dead? Oh, did no die? doubt. Sin entered into the world at mm-hmm. that
5: time. I have a point, i Mortem. Oh,
1: sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. That's a
6: nice surprise. <laughs> I
5: think that, you know... Adam and Eve died instantly, spiritually. Correct. And chapter five of Genesis says, that, and and his children were born in his image, Adam's image. Right, right. And so when Paul talks about death passing upon all men, it's not just physical death passing upon all men, it's
0: spiritual, spiritual to death. Right.
5: And I love the way you put it. You know, the dead man don't respond. No. And I love you know. When Jesus went to, to Lazarus in the grave, you know and by now he stinketh. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, Lazarus came come forth and, and Lazarus said Lazarus said, No way, Lord.
0: Yeah. No,
5: as soon as as soon as Jesus said, Come forth, he did. the command brought the light and the ability and he came forth. Right.
2: See the contrast is found in what Jesus spoke to the woman at the well. Father God is spirit. Yeah. And those, he's looking for worshipers that worship him in men, spirit and truth. So when he spoke to Nicodemus in John 3, he said to Nicodemus, one must be born from above, born again. And that first step, now you, you're right, because now we're in the image of Adam. We're not in the image of God until you're born again. Right. right.
0: So... Um, we had that conversation on the way to Walker's graduation in, in, in John. Did you say we? Who are you talking about? So, me, Devin, uh, and our in laws, Sean and Angie Shanks, in the truck on the way to Spokane for Walker's graduation from Montana. Okay. And, you know, and we, we've, we've read that passage, we've heard that passage preached a lot in our Christian lives. And we're like, oh, yeah, you know, because did you guys ever think Nicodemus' response? Was odd. He says, What? have, yeah,
5: and I
3: wondered, did he change then? I don't think he changed that day. I, that's my guess. Go
0: ahead. Nicodemus? Yeah. But I always thought, because, you know, being a Christian, you're like, Oh, yeah, born again. We have this whole idea of what it means to be born again. And Nicodemus's response, listening to it and talking about it this time, was just odd to me because he's like, What do you mean born again? Like, do I have to enter into my mother's womb? Like, how is that possible? Because he was taking it absolutely literal, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, now why would Nicodemus do that? And what's the idea behind that, behind being born again? Well, the whole idea, again, comes from that sovereignty of God that we're talking about. Did we enact from our own volition, through our own power, the birth process? Was that up to us? No. No. Right. That's why Nicodemus was confused. He's he's sitting here thinking, well okay, it wasn't by my will the first time, so what do you mean born again? See, he wasn't quite getting at the sovereignty of Christ and what he was trying to tell him at this point. And you guys know I'm a huge Spurgeon fan. And in Spurgeon's day, even in Spurgeon's day, people found theology interesting, right? That was, that was like the um, hobby of a distinguished gentleman is to sit around, study and talk about theology in Spurgeon's day. Yeah. but how many but how many times do we talk about theology to even those that are Christians and they say, "Oh, I find it boring. Yes. You know it's it's not one of those subjects that really, you know, it, it excites me to to talk about theology. And that's a travesty because, the study of theology and what we're starting here, the study of who God is, the doctrine of God, is the basis for everything. I don't think it should be a boring topic. Can you make it boring? Of course. <laughs> yes. You, you can use too many big words. <laughs> yes. Have I done that yet? <laughs> <No>. Okay. <laughs> See, the question on whether or not theology is important clearly assumes that a study of the nature and character of God is somehow going to be impractical or irrelevant for life. And that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense at all. Because knowing about God is crucially important for the living of our lives. Period. So, and I'm going to steal this from J.I. Packer. I love he, he gives this analogy. As it would be cruel to an Amazonian tribesman to fly him to London, put him down without explanation in Trafalgar Square, and leave him, as one who knew nothing of English or England, to fend for himself. So we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about God, whose world it is and who runs it. Mm -hmm. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place, and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business. For those who do not know about God, disregard the study of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul.
3: Yeah, that's
0: true. I love how Packer put that because think about it. To disregard the study of who God is, which is commonly known as theology proper, right? The highest level of theology, you're blundering through this world. He created it. He created you, he owns the world, he owns you, and you have no idea of your place or interaction in it because you don't know who God is. Doesn't that seem like a, a, just a mindless, you know, you're on the, we heard about the rat race. I think that's what it is. I don't think the rat race is going to work every day. I think the rat race is living a life without seeking who God is and your place in his world. How can you interact in that? You don't
3: understand the character of God you don't understand the character of Christ. You'll never understand this book.
0: No, no way. You would never understand scripture. And it's the same idea of, you know, we've all seen it. Sometimes those, those marriages where it, it's marriage and name only, you know, they somehow just sleep under the same roof. And you got to ask, what's the point? Right? What, why? Why? If you're not willing to get to know this person, it's the same way with getting to know God. What's the point? Exactly. So what are we to do once we get, get going? Remember, this is just an intro in uh, the study of God. What are we going to do with all of our newfound knowledge once we get it? What's the purpose of all of this? So we have to question our motives and our intentions of this study. What do we intend to do with our knowledge about God? So I myself learned this as a young theology student that if we pursue knowledge about theology just for the sake of theological knowledge, it's going to make us proud and conceited. Absolutely. Exactly. We heard about self-righteous this morning. Yes, it it will definitely lead to that, and that's because of just the lofty nature of the subject itself. We're going to run the risk of thinking ourselves as greater than other Christians because we are the elite. We study theology. You know, they're their ideas of God or, or the Bible are just crude and rudimentary.
4: Well, and I think once God does illuminate our understanding of the scriptures, that in and of itself, because anybody can read through the scriptures, but once God illuminates your understanding and you get it, there tends to be a piety behind that sometimes. I mean, the, yeah. unless the understanding of the scriptures truly cuts to the core and does its job and humbles you to the core which,
0: which I think the understanding of the nature and person of God because we think right. about in James chapter yes. chapter 2 right where he's saying you believe that there's one god you do well even the demons believe and tremble yeah. mm-hmm. okay well let's unpack that one a little bit what are the demons trembling at the power of the god has. exactly the judgment to come, they they are trembling at who God is, right? So I think, you know, once you can somehow grasp, not fully, that's not going to happen in this life, let me be clear about that, but somehow grasp who God is as a person, my goodness, I mean, it, 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 it has to. I mean, think about Isaiah, you know, woe is me for I'm a man <laughs> of unclean lips, I'm undone. You know, when God said, oh yeah, you go Isaiah, he's like, what? No. <laughs> no, I'm not going. So, we must remember as Paul told the conceited Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 2, knowledge puffs up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. Yeah. Right? So, let me be very clear. There can be no spiritual health without doctrinal knowledge. What do I mean by that? If your faith is based on something that isn't scripture and doctrines taught in scripture, then it's fleeting. It's just a wisp in the wind. However, there can be no spiritual health with doctrinal knowledge if you seek to puff it up and value only your knowledge in it. Does that make sense? Yeah, Steve. The very fact that
2: we have to be born again, or from the That means that we have the Spirit of the living God inside us. Yeah. So the spiritual truth is quick and it's open up, it's vibrant, it's alive. Mm-hmm. God breathed Word. Then it takes what we learn from the Word of God and magnifies it in the light of the Gospel, in the light of the truth. So now we can understand God's heart and mind in the matter. Yeah. So without that, we're still thinking in a cardinal thinking. Yes. Because I let's say I have a, a great mind, I have a bunch of alphabet behind my name. So one day I pick up the Bible, I'm just gonna read it like literature. Mm-hmm. So I read it through there, yeah that sounds good, that right. sounds good, that sounds good. But see I'm not changed. No. Right. No. right. And that's why being born again to and to understand the spiritual truth that <coughs> lays behind the letters, that speaks to our hearts, that humbles us before God. Mm-hmm. We come into that relationship and now we can really understand. What the Word is saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: That's
0: when it becomes alive. And real.
2: And
3: then we mature in that.
0: Prayerfully. Pursue, <laughs> yeah. You know, yes.
3: a relationship with the Lord.
0: So we're encouraged, like what Steve was kind of hinting at, to meditate on the truths of Scripture. Right? We've heard that term. We've heard sermons on it. Okay. So how do you do that? How can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? Those are two very different things. Again, I'm going to steal something from Packer. He says, The rule for doing this is simple but demanding. It is that we turn each truth that we learn about God into a matter of meditation before God, leading to a prayer and praise to God. Yep. So what is it? What exactly is meditation? It's kind of simple. It's simple in theory, but it's demanding in practice. So the first one... What do you guys think the first step is gonna be? It, this one's kind of a Prayer. Huh? Prayer. Almost. The first one is you gotta crack this open. Yeah, that's true. Right. Okay. right? You gotta study the scriptures. <clears throat> yes. You need a better marker, don't you? Well, the marker's okay, it's just the yeah. wobbly. <laughs> it, it's okay.
3: We'll hold it with one hand, okay. we'll room. On
0: <laughs> or if we change rooms.
2: Well, does it really start with just opening that up? No. Or something that comes to the edge at first is the fear of the Lord. Right. Capital L-O-R. Mm-hmm. That is the beginning. Of all wisdom. For then when you open that, he magnifies us in the spirit of the living. We have the best teacher.
0: Absolutely.
2: So then the word becomes magnified.
0: And then the second part that we get on that, here, I gotta hold that, is we need to call to mind, think about, dwell on any truth that we've learned of scripture. So this is kind of an introduction of how to study your Bible. And I remember when I uh, first got saved and I was like, what do I do? Do I just, the lucky dip method, just you know, pick open random stuff and then read it and see how it speaks to me? Or like, how do I do this? Like, what's, what's the plan? That's me, you guys know that, I'm a tab A, slot B. I'm the guy that reads the stereo instructions, right? <laughs> so so I, I need to, Steve, too, so I need to, you know, have steps on how do I, how do I do this? So I'm going to leave this blank because we're going to do this as a class together, okay? So we're going to go through this whole exercise and we're going to call to mind, think about, dwell on any truth we learned about Scripture, about the works of God. What do we learn about His works or, or what His works are or how He works, the ways of God his mannerisms, personality, uh, the purposes of God. What do you learn about his purposes? What does God want to accomplish? Is he random? Is he very calculated? And then the promises of God. What do we learn about God's promises? So I have a challenging passage I thought would be great for us to do this with. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to go through verses 3 through 11 and answer all these. So we can get this idea... Of what it means of how to study our scriptures and then how we can get that deeper knowledge with God. Is that Ephesians 1? Yep. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Okay, I'll read the passage first and then we're going to go back and we're going to unpack it. Verses 3 through 11 of Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ So why are we doing this? Again, so we can get the idea of what it means to, to dig in, to, to dive, and to get that knowledge of who God is. So we, can, we have an idea through this passage. If we just unpacked it in a you know, Pastor Ben type of sense, we would have a knowledge about God. But now I want to go through all these exercises to turn that knowledge about into knowledge of God. Right. So then he becomes more personal. us. So the first part, the works of. What did we learn in this passage about how God works or what his works are? And I'm going to write these down as you guys uh, shout it out here.
3: You asked a question?
0: Yep. The works. Throughout this passage, what did we learn about how God works or what his works are?
4: Where did you start? He, he well,
0: blesses us. Yep. Okay. Ephesians one, chapter three, verses. Uh, no, Ephesians chapter one, verses three through eleven. Okay. So I'm going to put works here. Margaret, you said that right? Yes. Okay. Blesses so blesses him. us.
3: He chooses us.
0: Yep. Anything else? Predestined. Yeah. Predestined. Thanks, Justin. Anything else?
1: Well, he adopts us.
0: Yes. Good.
1: Which, uh, because, really, um, because in in the Jewish people, once a a natural born child Uh could be disavowed. Correct. But an adopted child could not.
0: Yeah. Uh That's a good point. Thank you for bringing that up.
4: Adoption according to the good pleasure of Mm -hmm. his will.
0: Yep. I mean. So that's a it's good not point. Not just
4: adoption; it's so, according to the good pleasure of His will.
0: By His will.
2: Is it is it not also found in ten? As it planned for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him Christ. Mm-hmm. Things in heaven, things on earth. So it is God's manifold will and purpose to unite all those things through His. Son.
0: Correct.
3: But he bestows bestows grace.
0: Right. Good job. Okay. Redemption. We
5: have forgiveness.
3: We have acceptance.
0: Acceptance. Okay. So we have a good list about the works of God. Now, this is going to... Same thing. Imagine if... This was a fella you had just met, and he acted this way. These are the things that he did. So what does this then lead you to the image of? What type of God does this paint a picture of?
4: Loving. Loving?
0: Loving? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Loving.
1: Well, he's kind. intelligent. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes.
4: Omniscient, I mean, yeah. all-knowing.
0: So he blesses us. These are his works. Chooses us. Predestines us. Adopts us by his will. Bestows grace. It shows that he's loving. That he's kind. He's good. Good. Why? Why is he good? Because
3: no other because God would do
0: that. Yeah. That's, that's a... Right. And that was always a stumbling block for me as a young Christian. Is why I, me? I would. You're done. Start over. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, like a, a couple of times, but, I know. Patient. patient? I know, like, like a project in my wood shop, you know, I've been like, ah, scrap pile. <laughs> this is going into the wood stove, you know. <laughs> I guess technically some of them are. <laughs> the eternal wood stove. Yeah. Why? I know. He
1: is
5: the Lord. you go
0: You know, the the works of God that we learn about this is amazing. When you see how he acts in his works. All right, now let's talk about the ways of God. What did we learn about his ways in this passage? His mannerisms, personalities, etc. It'll it'll be a direct correlation to his works, so I'll make it easy on you. Yeah, mannerisms, personality, his ways. Well, that's kind of
3: like the kind of God.
0: The what? Well, it's, it's like the kind of God he is. Yes.
3: He's forgiving. Yes. He's right.
0: holy. Yep.
2: Well, first and foremost, God is love.
0: So here's an interesting question that we read in this passage. So, and this should bring comfort. So we learned about the works of God, that he blesses us, chooses us, bestows grace, he's good. We learned about the ways of God, he's forgiving, he he is love, he is holy. So, the ways and works of God, here's the kicker. In this passage, are they dependent on anything that we have done? No, that brings me great comfort because I screw it up continuously. I guess I'm allowed to say that, I don't know. I mess it up continuously, right? That is a huge, huge comfort that it's not dependent upon us. Yeah. Amen. So the purposes of God, what did we, let me put this here. What did we learn in this passage about God's purpose? Why, that's the why question. Right? If you guys ever took basic journalism, you know, the five W's plus H, who, what, where, when, why, and how, this is the why part.
2: Okay, then that must be 10 of them. So God's purpose is this why is he like this? Because it is to unite all things in him and things Things in heaven, things on earth. Yep. And the reason why is in Colossians 1.16, it says, for by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things were
0: created through him and for him. Right. So... Right. So, so, unite all in Christ the counsel of his will.
3: For the fullness of times.
0: Yeah.
2: So I have a
3: question.
0: Yes, Steve.
2: Okay. Uh, The very fact that in, in heaven... That that is, uh, I'm not counting Satan and his fall, Uh all the rest of it, they're in harmony with him. Right. Okay, now what is happening is that Christ is redeeming back what was lost in the fall of Adam and Eve. And so by doing that, this verse becomes true because it's uniting what it was in the beginning, all is one before sin. Mm Mm-hmm in that relationship with God because all things were made by him and for
0: him. Yep. Yep. And it, and it shows that, you know, his purpose, again, in all of this is what? To bring himself glory. Right? Yeah.
1: I, I often think of it as an aquarium. Okay. Like, I own the aquarium. Uh-huh. So, why do I put the aquarium together? You know, um, and I put I put the things inside the aquarium at any given point in time. Sorry. I can stick okay. my well, it's, and it's like I can see and they can't see out. Oh. They can't see me. Right. And at any wow. point in time, I can stick my hand into their world and rearrange things <laughs> to my pleasure. Yep. <laughs> and take it out. <laughs> so it's kind of it gives me a visual.
0: Yeah. That is a good, that is an absolutely great analogy of this. So the purpose of God that we learn in this passage, right, is for his glory and to unite in him all the things which once were lost. Mm -hmm. So what does that, again, tell us about God's personality? What purpose does he act on? Is he random or is he extremely purposeful? Yeah, extreme order and extreme purpose. Every single thing that he does has a very, very specific purpose. So, when those things happen in our lives that don't make sense to us, they obviously make sense to God. When those things happen in our lives that we wonder we would have wanted a different outcome, it didn't fit in our plan, But remember, that's not the purposes of God. The purposes of God is to bring Him glory. And a lot of times in Scripture, we learn and we see that what brings God glory sometimes is very different than what we thought it should have been. Um, Joseph, not Joseph, Mary's husband, the other Joseph.
4: Uh, Mm -hmm.
0: How many times do you think, you know, first being thrown into that pit, was he wondering about the purposes of God in this, right? He had to have been.
2: Well, that's enough to say that when the uh, two boys there in uh, Pharaoh's court ended up in jail with him. Yep. Remember me. Remember
0: yeah, me. remember me, I know. Now, here's the fun part, the promises of God in this. Hallelujah. In this passage, so what promises do we have?
4: We have redemption. Yep. And forgiveness of sins.
0: Okay. Anything else?
4: Having made known to us the mystery of his will.
0: Yep. So that one's key. I'm going to start that. Because how many times do we ask, what is God's will?
2: And we'll have fellowship with Him.
0: Yep. Yeah. Fellowship. We
4: obtain inheritance.
0: Yep. As Diane brought up about the adoption, that's key for the inheritance. Anything else in here?
1: Provision. Yes. You know, nowadays with with them everybody threatening how we're gonna run out of bread and we're gonna <laughs> run out of everything. Yeah. And I think about the passage where it says, um, you know, that he's never seen his seed out begging bread.
0: <laughs> yep. Old. Yep. So then we come to these promises of God, and we can learn a little bit more about his personality. The promises are redemption and forgiveness. He has revealed the mystery of his will, so he's, he's uh, um, not open, that's not the word I'm looking for, but personable, that's the better word I'm looking for. Not uh, as an unknown deity, like the deity of the pagans, where they have no idea about the personality or, or character or nature of this thing that they're worshiping fellowship with him. He's given us inheritance, provisions, provisions for not only this life, but more importantly, the next. So for salvation. Now we've come to an overarching theme, I think, in all of this. And I think this solidifies that whole first sentence that God is Lord, right? I mean, look at his works. They're based on His will, accomplishing what brings glory to Him. In His ways, He does it by His will. He does it purposefully for His will and for His glory. And He promises the mystery of His will will be made known to us. So, does this help when you guys... uh, Now, use this process when you're studying your Bible. Don't just read through it and then hope for the best, but really... meditate Meditate on it and this is what it means this is literally how you meditate on scripture you think you break apart all these different things you think about okay what does this passage teach me about god and then you can write okay what are the works purpose ways and promises of god that this passage is teaching me what does this passage teach me about man's relationship to god what does this passage teach me specifically about my relationship in this world to god something that i need to know Right, and do I always do this? No, I'm lazy as all get out. Right, this is extremely time consuming. This isn't just wake up before your cup of morning coffee and read the scripture and then you're good to go. No, this is like an hour at least, oh, yeah. you know, of studying scripture. Yeah. This can is do it with your coffee. <laughs> <laughs> if I had about four cups, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But this is, this is the one that I believe this type of study method is the one that gets you that deep, rich knowledge of the person of God. He then, we then take what we're reading, which is knowledge about God, and then this inform, transforms it to knowledge of God. And then he becomes that person to us. And I believe it's life-changing. Well, and
1: you
4: have to talk to him. I could read a book about you and not know you. Oh well, that's true but where we get to know each other is in talking to each other too I oh yeah and as God opens our understanding more and more to his word to talk to him about it yep. and let the Holy Spirit reveal to us as he,
3: as he wills
0: yep and,
3: yeah, the, and I like I shared with Devin before in a Bible study with my, my daughter Magia who read through the Bible as a history book yeah. Before she became a believer. It wasn't personal, it meant nothing. Yeah. She was not a believer. She didn't she didn't see the Lord. She didn't hear from him, didn't get anything out of it because it was a history book in school. I don't know when mm-hmm. why maybe she just read it all because she was interested in looking at it. But when she became a believer, it became alive. Yeah. Because the Holy yeah. Spirit was in her. Right. And so, like you said, it, it has to be that you have that that Conversation with God too. You have to know Him and talk to Him, and then He reveals so much more you know, yep. as you're studying. And I
0: like this. And well, I, and and I want to point out. Okay, let's see who's not the oldest, but who has been saved the longest <laughs> in this room. Um, Diane, how long have you been saved?
1: Since uh, great late Great Planet Earth, <laughs> <laughs> seventy six or so. Okay. okay,
0: Margaret, when did you get saved?
1: Uh, I, I, I was seven
6: years old and I'm fit, 65.
0: Okay. That
6: requires
2: math.
0: Can we give us a year? So it's the real question. The real question is when did you become Lord of your life?
3: That's a good, that is a good question. Yeah. That's true because I, I was, I knew him, I accepted him, but probably was walking more faithfully when I was...
2: You know, it's interesting because you quoted... Twenty. 20. Oh, pardon me. Go ahead.
0: So 20, 65, 45 years? 45 years ago? Okay.
2: You're working on the book of Ephesians somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Okay, here's an interesting thing. It's not only for us, but more than that. And that's where we get the, the heaven and the earth. Because in Paul is writing here, he says in Ephesians 3, he writes, uh, To bring a light for everyone that has planned a mystery hidden, for ages in God. So God has held something close to His own heart, right? Yeah. Angels don't even know, right? Correct. So it's the idea that who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers, authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, you know, whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is to your glory. It's the very idea that he is revealed at the right time when Christ came. We are the recipients mm-hmm. of him, and as a church, we're to make known that manifold wisdom, which in turn is the preaching of the gospel and Absolutely. making disciples. Mm-hmm. yep disciples. This is the gift. Yep. This is the Messiah for the Jew. the Messiah for us the Savior, the anointed one who comes to save. It stirs within the core of the human being the very truth that it registers here. Yep. And we are privileged. God has privileged us to make it known to those that sit in the heavenlies the principalities and
0: powers. Mm-hmm. I know, and it's and it's amazing. And I bring up the, the time difference. So we have a, a, a Christian here has been serving the Lord for 45 years, you, How long? Two years? Uh, maybe? A year?
5: Yeah. Okay. When I was.
3: learned about God when I was 12, but I didn't really know God till later.
0: Yep. So you've only been serving God for maybe the past year, right? Yeah,
3: that's more accurate.
0: Yep. So the cool part, why I bring that up, is whether we've been serving God for, you know, the better part of half a century or one year, this study method works for all of us. Yeah. Because so many times in my own Christian walk I've looked at great women of faith. Margaret, you're one of them. Doris is another one, and I'm like, why aren't I like them yet? <laughs> you know? You know, why why do I still make the same stupid mistakes? But this levels the playing field, I think, for all of us. Did you did you take notes on how to use this for studying? Because it's it's kind of kind of? Yeah. Okay. Can
3: you see,
0: I'm okay. I got it. So, so the point, and you would walked out, I think you had to take a phone call that we were making, is when you're studying a passage, whatever you're working through, your own time in Scripture, so you're going to ask yourselves a, uh, some questions. And this, this takes time. This is like an hour worth of study. This isn't just read a passage read a proverb or a psalm with your cup of coffee and then go to work kind of deal, right? The reason why this takes because you gotta write, you gotta dig in, you gotta take notes, you're gonna ask yourselves a couple questions when when studying. You're gonna ask, okay, what does this passage show me about God? And then you're gonna unpack that. What does it show me about the works of God, purpose, ways, promises of God in that passage? What does it show me about man? What does it show me about man's relation to God? What does it show me about my relationship to God or to the world as a whole? And then see how it takes a long time? And you're writing, and you're just digging all these things, and that's what it means to meditate on the Word. And we've heard that term, but I've never, um, until I asked one of my professors at school, Dr. Morgan, I never really understood what it meant to meditate on God's Word. I know what Eastern you know, mysticism meditation is like, right? But how do you do it on God's Word? And This is how. This is how it becomes part of you. This is how you just, throughout the day, you're going to be remembering this passage and thinking on it over and over and over, right? And you're going to be thinking about those things. Yeah, Gabe.
6: Um, so I, 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 it does take time, right? Um, and I think that it's, it's awesome if you can do it in an hour. Oh, I know. Yeah, you got to go. But I, I, would, I don't know if you're hearing this and going, oh, I have to set aside an entire hour. That can be daunting for me sometimes, you know, working with kids and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But I, I think of Pastor Marcos. And I don't know if, are a missionary in Peru. I don't know very many people who can open up the same Bible every single day and just immediately start expanding on God's Word (laughs) from the notes that are in his Bible. Right. And and he is constantly serving all day, every day. And when he comes to visit and we get to hang out with him, one of the things I notice is he always carries his Bible. And when he's going to or fro, you know, Mm -hmm. or he's sitting in my living room and we're having a conversation in English that he can't follow... He's doing one of two things, he's either taking a nap real quick, or, or more often he's opening the scriptures and yeah. he's doing this very thing, but yeah. he's doing it in the chunks of time that God gives him to do that, yep. in between teaching, yeah, because he goes from neighborhood to neighborhood constantly teaching. Yeah, that's a good point, um, thanks so Gabe, yeah. I'm always trying to like, yeah, anyway, and I think if you can, it, sometimes having a Bible app on your phone instead of social media apps on your phone, so that no you, doubt. when you have those breaks in the day you can pull out your phone and, and study the scriptures and mark up the scriptures rather than, Checking. if you have a physical bible and you can take yeah. that and do that in your grocery store and that's great but <laughs> <on> that Facebook, <laughs> if, you can, if you can be looking at the scriptures and meditating on the I know think about it, that.
0: think about the amount of time wasted on social media yeah. yeah Yeah, Steve
2: you know what I did? I went to work an hour ahead of
0: time
2: huh? and I sat eating my bag of Cheerios for breakfast <laughs> and the word of God for my spirit and I did that every day. For years. Continually, every day, every day. The Lord drew me to that, and I used that. So our will in the process along the way, God, God will sustain us in the midst of it. Yeah. We just have to move our feet in agreement and come into that relationship with Him. So if I lack in the Word of God, the very right. things that are spoken here, the idea about prayerfully, uh, not only opening with the word prayerfully mm-hmm. opening, and then beginning of the word, but as the Spirit leads the the counsel of God's words, specific words, what do they mean, what's the direction, how do you parse them, all of those kind of things. God wants you to know those things because they're important for us. But see, it started with when I moved my feet. Yeah. I didn't intend to go to work an hour early every day for 15, 20 years. It was the very fact that God was doing the work, but yet it was profitable for my soul. So I believe we have enough time because it's Him, is it not, that sustains us, that gives Mm -hmm. us the strength to to do those things?
0: Yeah. Al
3: had something he wanted to share. Yeah, Al. As we go through this process here, the Holy Spirit will
2: reveal God to us. Amen.
3: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely.
2: Verse by verse, chapter by
5: chapter.
0: And I'm glad you brought that up because that was my next point. So why, the big why, why do we do these exercises? And the purpose actually is to clear your mental vision of who you think God is and let the scripture replace it with who God actually is. Because trust me, our idea of who God is versus what the scriptures teach are two different things a lot of the times. And I've used the analogy before. You know, I had an awful earthly father. So whenever scripture refers to God as father, my mind goes to that vision, right? Not the vision that's being taught of Father God in the scriptures. And this clears all that. Those presuppositions you might have of who you think God should be or who God is. And it all comes down to how we were raised or what church we were raised in or whatnot. I mean, if you know, if you were raised in an independent fundamentalist church, I mean you got Zeus with a lightning bolt ready to stab you. You know, that that's your vision of who God is. If you were raised on the other spectrum, a total, you know, name it and claim it, bark in the spirit kind of, kind of church, you know, you have this vision of God as a celestial Santa Claus ready to give you anything you want. Is that what you were raised in Gabe? Yeah, I
6: was, yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> but the point is doing this erases that nonsense and it, it, does. it gives you who God actually is, which is so important. Why is it important? Well, Steve quoted the the passage earlier. We're worshiped to. We're called to worship God in spirit and truth. truth. Yeah, the truth part only comes from the Scripture, not what's ever made up in our minds about God at that point. That's why
4: a that teacher worth his salt says, "Don't take my word exactly. for it. Exactly, right. line it up with the Scripture. You t- you do your own homework. Take yeah. it home. This is Read. the online. Yep."
0: yep. Yeah, this is the plumb line. And it's meant to have the scriptures. <laughs> <laughs> it's meant to have the scriptures themselves make their full impact of the truth of God. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why we do this. So this was a brief introduction today on the doctrine of God, and we're we're gonna get into that um, more. Not too deep for my bride. Hey, make <laughs> me <baby> sound shallow. <laughs> 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 I have a couple of years. <laughs> So my, my, my prayer, my, my plan for, for all this is to end up going through um, theology. And we're starting with, there, there's tenets of systematic theology, right? So you have the doctrine of God. So that's all the different nature of God. So we're going to go through his attributes, holiness of God and um, immutability when God can't change, all that stuff of God, okay? Then when we finish that, then, what do we do? We go to the doctrine of man, okay? What it means to be human in this world. Then we go, what follows man? Well, the doctrine of sin, right? After that. And then, doctrine of salvation. And then, da da da, da Eschatology, end times, right? It's not going to take us two years. So we, so yep, we just have that's two more God.
3: Weeks this summer.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. So, this is going to be a, a fall fall oh, plan. Okay, that's yeah. cool. Okay, good. Yep. Well Oh, we only have two more weeks of Sunday school, Margaret? For the summer. For the summer. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. Um, but we'll. I think we'll be able to. Maybe in two weeks, get a big chunk from the doctrine of God and doctrine of Christ taken care of. Maybe. Um, but if it gets too boring or whatnot, let me know, guys.
2: No, um, we're enjoying it.
0: So, any questions before we wrap up in prayer? So
2: this fall, we're going to come out with
5: a puff puppet.
0: Yep. (laughs) Totally.
5: Yeah. I always found helpful, and you have to dig into it much deeper, but from my Westminster confession through the the catechism, Mm -hmm. what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchanging, in his being, wisdom, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Amen. Oh, we need to
4: write that down. Yeah. It's
0: in the Westminster Confession Catechism of Faith.
5: I
4: don't
0: or the Baptist Faith and Message of 1859. They quote oh, okay. it in the same spot. <laughs> sure, I have that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or the London <laughs> Confession, sure. sure yeah. Do. Does Google have that? <laughs> yep, sure does. <laughs>
5: Well, that's another great way of learning theology is to go through the
0: catechism. Yeah. And there's uh, there's another reason, an ulterior motive of me teaching this, not only so we can learn and be grounded in our doctrines and our theology, but it's also to immediately recognize that stuff that's heretical um, because when we're talking about right now the doctrine of God, there's one that we're going to get into right away. It's called open theism. And it was proposed by two guys back in the late 90s, um, Clark Pinnock and Gregory Boyd. Now, these guys had the idea that God changes, that, that God is fluid, that God is not just this stoic monster that, you know, only wants my way or the highway. And we'll be dealing with that. And, and Yeah, oh man, exactly, yeah, exactly. They don't know exactly. God. Don't know God. Um, you know, I think, I, got, I, I read a lot, I gotta get it right. I think it was in Packer's book, Knowing God. He was um, walking with a, a seminary student, and he he. Details it in his book pretty well in the sunshine, and this seminary student had dared to come against the church in which he was a part of for their lack of knowledge and their misunderstanding of God, their just total apostasy, and therefore condemning his entire academic advancement career. And uh, Packer, I believe, you know, had uh, expressed apologies and remorse for this, and he said, "It's okay. I have known God, and they haven't."
5: Mm-hmm.
0: That's it. Yeah. Right? Absolutely amazing. Well, let's, let's close in prayer. I think I've been going for about an hour now. Father, we praise you so much for who you are, Lord. And we just ask your, your blessing on our time of study, God, that we don't make it merely an academic exercise, that yes. we, through this, can know you more intimately and more deeply. Lord, bless our day as we go out. Uh, in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.